Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast. This is your co-host, Seth Green. With me, as always, is the amazing inventor of the infomercial and one of the original sharks on the hit television show, Shark Tank, Kevin Harrington. What's going on, Seth? How you doing? Awesome. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Mr. Stephen Shapiro. For over 20 years, he's presented his provocative strategies on innovation to audiences in over 50 countries. During his 15-year tenure with the consulting firm Accenture, he led a 20,000-person innovation practice. He's the author of five books, including Best Practices Are Stupid, which was named the Best Innovation Book of 2011. He's also inducted into the National Speaker Association Hall of Fame and is on their board of directors. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Good to be with both of you. Stephen, it's, it's a pleasure to, to meet you too. And you know, coming out of big corporate Accenture, um, and now writing books. Have you morphed now into a into more of an entrepreneurial experience now? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, but the people I work with are still a lot of the big businesses. I mean, my clients are all the big names that you would know because uh, I find that they're the ones who still struggle to, to you know, change course. I mean, they're so set in their ways. And so I work with entrepreneurs, but the entrepreneurs are already usually good free spirits. And what they need is a little more structure. The people I work with actually need a different type of structure to help them be successful. Would you call, have you ever used the word intrapreneur? Absolutely. I mean, to me, that's all, what we're trying to do is just create people who are entrepreneurs inside of an organization. So absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Um, and so the, the, your, your five books, uh, what's been your, your, your most uh, powerful? Well, I think the, the, my, my favorite one actually uh, is, is more personal. It's called Goal-Free Living. It's how to live a life without goals and why goals are the thing which tend to you know, destroy people's happiness and even success. And I talk a lot about uh, why it is that the harder we try, sometimes the less we achieve. And so I love that book. Uh, and then personality poker is probably the one which is the most fun because it's actually a card deck that comes with the book itself. Your, your title, your most recent book is Best Practices Are Stupid. Why are they yeah. stupid? Uh, best Practices Are Stupid because if you start copying what everyone else is doing, you're playing a game of catch up. I mean, it's really that, that simple. Uh, but I also, I mean, this is sort of like the, the funny thing is I listen to a lot of people who talk about how to be successful. And one of the things which I figured out is most people who are successful don't necessarily know why they are successful. They think they do, but they don't necessarily. And so it's really a matter of trying to understand what is truly happening underneath the surface that had someone be successful rather than just looking at the surface and the practices that they perform. You know, the, have you seen, uh, Tim Ferriss has a new book, uh, The Tools of Titans. He did he interviewed a lot of, of famous kind of people. And I don't know if you've seen that book, but um, I've, you know, been on stage with Tim before and listened to some of his talks and podcasts, uh, you know, that, that he, he has to, you know, it's, you, I think through the hundreds of interviews 
that he did there. You know, he, you know, he's, it's interesting. You see so many different reasons why people are successful and some that are totally counter to others. Right. And so, um, you know, you're right. I think that it's, it's a lot of people don't necessarily know what, what got them there. Um, and you know, and I've always been a believer that, you know, my, my, my industry, we're in the, as seen on TV industry, there's so many people that do knockoffs, right? That, you know, best practices, right? They, they find, they see something like we came out with a nightlight in your toilet bowl and there was two other guys that had the same thing within months. In fact, one of the guys ordered our product and put his name on it and then went out and showed our product actually to Walmart and Walgreens and said, we're coming out with this new product and you got to see it. And it was actually ours, right? Cause we had, you know, proof that it was shipped to his office. And so of course we sued him one, we got an injunction and this would prove best practices, you know, are stupid because, Hey, look, we were the innovators. We were in the market first. We're now in Walmart, Target, all the different chains, et cetera. So I've always believed, People come to me and they say, do you need a patent? You know, I, I've got this great idea, but I don't have a patent. I'm like, you know, the reality is the patent is, 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 is okay for certain kinds of things and protection. But if you're the first one out, I mean, OxyClean never had a patent, but it sold for $375 million because they had this huge brand and they were the first ones out. And it was innovative and it was with the power of oxygen that oxygenates the cleaning process. So, you know, I think, you know, I'm a big believer that innovation first to the market, you know, and, and all of that kind of stuff is, is, is the key. And that's, that's kind of been my calling. And I think that, you know, probably, you know, as you're saying, you know, don't, don't be a copycat. I think that's probably one of, one of, one of the, one of the takeaways from your book, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and what, what's interesting, I think that you do, I always believe that every company has to have a differentiator, something that sets them apart. And in many cases, it's not necessarily the products. I think what you have as a differentiator is your ability to scale, market it, get it out there and build awareness. I mean, everybody knows your products. Everybody knows what you're doing. And I think that to me is something which I don't care whether somebody comes out with a product that might even be better. It's going to be difficult for them to compete because you have the market, you have the reach, you have the scale, and those are just amazing uh, differentiators that others can't replicate. And if they tried to, they would lose. So they have to find something different to beat you because they're not going to beat you at your game. Right. Steve, so you talk about how we should hire people we don't like. That's, that seems counterintuitive. What do you mean about that? Tell me more. Explain that one. Well, I mean, first of all, we need to understand that the, the brain is typically wired to for survival. And so as a result, we want to hang out with people who are very similar to us. And this is great for efficiency, but it is the thing which kills innovation. If we want to think differently, we need people who bring different aspects to the table. So when I look at big companies, for example, I always say, you know, don't hire people who fit the mold because the company will grow mold. We need to start thinking about how do we bring people with different experiences, people with different personalities, people with different styles, and pull all that together. Because to me, if we're just with people who are the same as us, we're just going to get what we always got. I've, I have a great example that we, at one point, we're shooting dozens and dozens of infomercials a year, you know, 40, 50 a year. And we, we said, we need, a, we need to get a, a, a really top-notch kind of lawyer that is very familiar with the, you know, the 
um, the truth in advertising laws, Federal Trade Trade Commission kind of activities. So we said, well, hey, how about finding somebody that used to work for the FTC? And so, like, you know, we hired this guy, his lawyer, that was this just ball buster lawyer that used to sue marketers like ourselves. Okay. And it's like, you know, his DNA was the, the, to come after marketers who were making money. And it's like, you talk about hiring someone you don't like. I mean, this is like, this guy was, you know, anti-business, anti-advertising claims, you know, but, you know, now what we did is we used his advice to, you know, to, you know, like, Hey, look, you tell us, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Well, okay. Let's talk about the legal aspects of all that so oh okay so what we would find out is well he would say don't do this but he went a little further than the legal envelope actually even required so we would push it back say okay take us right to the edge of being able to you know make some great claims but keep us short of a claim that the FTC is going to say you went too far so you know I mean that was a great example of, of hiring somebody we didn't like uh, but used him you know uh, you know, for, uh, you know, sort of the pit bull that kept everybody in line, you know? Well, I think that's great. I mean, most people wouldn't do that because they like, everybody loves to have everything that they do validated. I mean, there's a great uh, quote from Scott Cook and Intuit who said, for each of our failures, we had spreadsheets that looked awesome. And right. what happens is we love to feel good about what we're doing. We love to have people surround us and say, we're doing great. It sucks when somebody says, we don't like that. This is why it's not going to work. And it doesn't mean, like you said, you don't necessarily accept everything they're saying because there's a lot of naysayers, but you have to at least take all this in to be able to have a, a complete picture of what's going on. Otherwise, you're just, you know, riding in the, the dark with blinders on. Steve, yeah. you've worked with so many amazing companies. What's the best advice you've ever gotten? Best advice I've ever gotten? Uh, well, one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten is actually to ignore all advice. Uh, <laughs> because everybody's got an opinion everybody's got an opinion it doesn't mean that it's good so i look if i take advice i'm going to take advice from somebody who actually knows what they're talking about somebody who has the experience has the credentials uh you know there's a lot of people out there especially with social media these days you could get you could get completely uh lost in all of that and believe a bunch of things that are complete baloney uh, the other piece of advice, which I once got, this is many, many years ago, and it stuck with me, is always make sure that you spell someone's name correctly or at least pronounce it correctly. I don't know. That always stuck with me because anytime I'm sending an email, I will double and triple check the spelling if it's, an, it's a spelling that I'm not sure of. Yeah. <laughs> Strange so, one, but. Stephen, for someone that's just, you know, like I do a lot of startup entrepreneurs, um, you know, you're you deal with more corporate kind of structures, but, you know, do you, do you have any recommendations for, you know, someone that's in a startup mode on, you know, cause you know, it, it for startup person, it's easier to kind of copy somebody and, you know, kind of, you know, copy your way to success. And I think that's, you know, there are people that teach, you know, Hey, look, find out what somebody else is doing, do something similar until you can figure things out. But, you know, so, so I, I have found in my world that, you know, some of the more inexperienced marketers, you know, are, you know, kind of the knockoff guys that are coming out because, you know, they don't care. They don't know anybody. They're not worried and they, they take more chances. But, you know, is, do you have a, a recommendation 
for those kind of situations? Well, I think there's two things that I see with the work that I do that's applicable to even individuals, not just companies or entrepreneurs, is uh, make sure you're differentiating, coming back to something we talked about before. You're not going to beat the big dogs at their game. So figure out what your game is, play in the white space, whatever you want to call it, and have the whole process for being able to figure out what your differentiator is. But don't copy what other people are doing because you're not going to win that game. It's a game of catch-up. I always say replication is not innovation. But the other one, which, which is less obvious, I think, is don't worry about the answers as much as the questions. When you change the questions, when you change the way you look at the world, the solutions come to you. And so as entrepreneurs, a lot of times it's like we're, we're always trying, I've got an idea, I've got an idea, I could go do this. Look, you're chasing ideas. There's a billion ideas out there, but there doesn't mean that ideas are good. Uh, so step back, just pause and say, what is it we're really looking to achieve? What does the market need? Who's being served? Who's being underserved right now that nobody else is providing? And, and how can we sort of provide that? But it's the questions we ask that to me are much, much more important than any of our ideas that we might come up with. Yeah, I think what you're, what you're saying is that in, in, in my world, because I, as I speak, I speak to a lot of corporations, I talk about two ways to innovate. One is, is a quantity kind of an innovation. We actually, what we do is we put on, a, you know, like I went to AT&T and we took 300 senior executives, broke them into 30 teams of 10, and then we took 30 pitches. And that was, you know, in one day. And then we had five judges that took these pitches. Lori Lee was the, the head person from AT&T, myself, a couple of outside people. And actually, Robert Hertzvik was there. And so from Shark Tank, right? And we, and so this was a quantity of ideas. And we were taking these innovative ideas we came up with the the runner-up second runner-up and the winner and they got some prizes and awards and trophies and whatever right so that was one quantity is is one way to innovate but then the other side of innovation is finding the problems that exist already and now let's innovate around solving those problems so that's a problem based innovation as opposed to the quantity theory. So, um, you know, and I think, you know, that's, you know, how a lot of companies, you know, should be innovating is, and it's how inventors invent. How do I solve a problem? And in corporations should innovate based on solving their problems also. Yeah, I think the, the challenge with ideas is like, you, you look at suggestion boxes, which are basically just idea capturing mechanisms. I've worked with literally hundreds of companies over the year where they would get thousands, tens of thousands, or hundreds of thousands of ideas. Maybe five of them were good that implement them. The whole system would implode from it and then shut the program down. So quantity of ideas is good if you can somehow control it and manage it. But I believe you need constraints. I mean, innovation actually loves constraints because if you just give somebody a blank sheet of paper, it's very difficult. But if you give them some kind of box, I always say, don't think outside the box, find a better box. That's really helpful. And so when we do this, we reduce the amount of wasted energy and get more focused. And what I love about what you do is, I, I love, I mean, the, I, the, the TV show Pitchman from years ago, I, 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 studied, I devoured that show because that, that to me was the best MBA and how to, to, to sell something. And it always started off like in black and white or something. And yeah. Are you tired of, blah? <laughs> to me, that is a brilliant just mindset. And I think that's what, you know, how most human beings buy. 
it's a great it's a great story. We Pitchman was was Billy Mays and Anthony Sullivan, and we shot a lot of that show right in my studio uh, in in St. Pete, Florida. And I actually um, I I discovered Billy Mays back. God bless him. He's now since passed. Um, but in 1986, back in uh, Philadelphia at the Philadelphia Home Show, and then Anthony Sullivan walked in our office in London back in 1994 and said, hey, I got an idea for an infomercial and we did his first infomercial. So th those two guys ended up becoming partners and but they were dynamite in creating television. In fact, I mean, it was, the show was fabulous its first season, did well on Discovery. And then when Billy passed season two was short lived because it, you know, it, so they had big shoes to fill trying to pull that off for himself. But it was a dynamite show and it could have, you know, to this day might still be on the air. But hey, look, just like we're seeing today, The Apprentice, um, you know, when Donald Trump first launched The Apprentice, it was doing 15 million plus viewers. And even I think in its last season, kind of had a bell-shaped curve. It got, I think it finished up at around seven or eight million viewers when it finished. And then now he's going to be the president of the United States. But Schwarzenegger show is barely pulling four million. You know, the celebrity apprentice with Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's just not the same show without Donald Trump, unfortunately, because Trump yeah. was a lightning rod, right? So, you know, talent is, you know, is, is all the, is, is all the magic. And so, yeah, I, I, I appreciate the comment about the, I didn't, it's funny. I don't hear very many people talk about the Pitchman show actually, and, and how that was, you know, famous, uh, you know, back in the day that, that you remember that. So thanks for bringing that up. No, oh, seriously, it was, it was one of my favorites. I was just telling some people about it. I, I talk about it all the time still, yeah. because I, I think it is some of the best education we can have in terms of how to you know, position a product in the market. Well, Steve, people you grab me on the streets and say the same thing about Shark Tank. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm excited that I had a, a couple of years uh, run with the show and, and um, you know, kids. And I, I actually am on a couple of boards at USF, University of South Florida, University of Tampa. When I got involved with USF, they said, hey, can you bring us every episode on a DVD? We want to teach it in our master's uh, entrepreneurship program. So I remember walking in with a, a stack of like 100 DVDs and like, you know, hey, look, let's go through all these segments. And and they had a field day going through some of the shows. And it and you know, Pitchman was, you know, had a lot of reality like Shark Tank does. So yeah. um, I think some of these shows have been good for entrepreneurs out there in the world. Yeah. Steve, you've written so many books. Yeah. What are three of your favorites that you didn't write that have had the most impact on your work? Uh Probably one of my favorite books is Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman. Uh, it, it, it's just an amazing book uh, in terms of, you know, a Nobel Prize winning physicist and how he creatively solved problems. I mean, it's probably one of the best books on uh, creativity, I think, out there. So highly recommend that. Uh, always loved Man's Search for Meaning because I think everything we do, I mean, I know we've got Everybody talking about similar things, having your why and all that. But let's face it, that was, you know, Viktor Frankl was the first one to really talk about the power of, of having a purpose in everything you do. Uh, and then, let's see, a business book. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it's funny. Most of the books that I read tend not to be, I mean, I read business books, but where I get my best insights are in other places. So, Seth, you know that I love magic. 
So I read a lot of books on magic and those have helped me a lot because it, it's really a great process in problem solving. If you can understand how to create uh, an illusion, create a magic trick, well, you're, you're an amazing problem solver because you're making the impossible possible. So I've read so many books on that from Jeff McBride's books to other people's books. I love them all. So uh, I devour books on other topics though more than I do books on innovation these days. Stephen, can you give us an example of one of the best, like I'll call it a magical transformation one of your companies or clients has had over the last uh, couple of years or, you know, in, in your business experience? Yeah, I mean, it, it's some things it's hard to talk about because some things are actually going through trademark filings and other types of things. But I'll say, the, the, I'll talk about the transformation in terms of the result not so much, of, or more about the process than it is the specific products they okay. release. So a number of the companies that I work, my biggest thing is all about moving companies to a mindset of asking better questions. So I call it challenge-centered innovation. Uh, so instead of being idea-driven, let's get people to solve the most important problems. And if we identify the most important problems, or at least identify the most important problems, we're much further ahead. And so all the companies I've worked with, we go through this process, and what's fascinating is when we look at the return that they got in their innovation, we've increased their innovation ROI between 10 and 50 fold in most cases by moving towards this asking better question mindset. And some of these things have led to new patents that are in the process right now, trademarks that as we talked about before, sometimes all you need is a good brand and they're rolling those out. Uh, but it's really that mindset that I'm finding is helping companies the most more than the specific. So I teach them to fish rather than actually how to, you know, catch, you know, actually instead of giving them, here's a product. It's about that process that they can do over and over and over again. Great. Steve, we greatly appreciate your time. Fascinating, creative interview. Uh, Kevin, pleasure to share the mic with you as always. Steve, anything else you want to share with us before we wrap up? I, I think the, the, the best thing that I have to offer people when it comes to innovation is whatever your area of expertise is, spend time studying something else. So as I said, I, I spent a lot of time with magic and neuroscience and things of that nature. I worked for a Formula One race car team studying how they get pit crews to go faster. These are the types of things which I think help people be more innovative is instead of studying your industry or your discipline, start connecting to things that are related to what you do. I, you know, I'll give you a great example and I love that at close, but just, I, I, you know, I've been in this TV advertising business for 30 years and I was studying the movie industry, right? It's, it's totally a different business, you know, the watching, you know, uh, Brad Pitt and, and some of the, you know, the George Clooney's of the world shoot movies. But, you know, in, in, in studying that industry, I saw how do they market movies and, oh, well, they go international and they go to the Cannes Film Festival. So I started hanging out there and I thought, well, wait a minute, can't infomercials go international? So it was like by studying another industry, I picked up other techniques of marketing and other distribution and, you know, voila, all of a sudden, we're, here, I, here we were distributing our infomercials alongside movies and other distribution outlets. So I think that's a great, it's a great way to close our, uh, our podcast today, guys. And um, uh, Stephen, look forward to meeting you soon. And with, with us being as close as we are, Orlando to Tampa, St. Pete, let's grab a coffee sometime soon and look forward to hanging out with you a little bit. Excellent. Um, I look forward to it also. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening to this special productivity series of the Direct Response Marketing Podcast. I've interviewed hundreds of the most successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and CEOs all over the world. And I want to share with you one of the biggest ways I've discovered to triple your productivity that I've learned from these amazing 
people. Even better, I'll pay you $500 to test drive it. Just go to takethe500challenge.com. That's www.takethe500challenge.com to learn more. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.